welcome to A Regenerative Future with Matt Powers. I'm your host, Matt Powers. And today we're speaking with Michael Whitman of Blue Sky Biochar and Richard Kamalvathan, the inventor of Hyperdrive, who's also worked with the creator of EM and Bokashi, spreading it all over the world, helping develop Bokashi. And he, they are both here to explain this new innovation, Hyperdrive. It's not gonna change what we're doing as much as it's gonna change how we're doing it and how effective what we're doing right now is. So this is super exciting. This is, this is a new innovation. And it's, it, the more you hear about it, you're gonna hear how it relates to things you already know and understand and are excited about. So if you love EM, if you love biochar, if you love Bokashi, if you love bamboo vinegar, this is an incredible episode. So stay tuned, here we go. <laughs> Sustainability has always been a drive for me. Um, you know, I, I'm my past life was uh, CEO of uh, two public companies that uh, dealt in organic and non-GMO food. We created protocols, we best practices, and believe me, it's like pushing a boulder up a water waterfall. You know, it, it's it's that it's that fight, and it wasn't popular. You know, before the Whole Foods came, before all of these guys came at it. But we identified that the key um, chelator in the soils, and that was glyphosate with the Purdue University and several other universities. And I had some great mentors, Howard Fleetler, Vernon Sneller. I mean, just incredible mentors that, that took me under their wing and taught me, you know, uh, the, the, the realistic understanding of what's invisible in the soil. I mean, as you and I were discussing before we got into this, is that it's all about the balance in the soil. It's the microbial activity. It's the life in the soil. Life in the soil is what gives life to the plants. And, and if you can convey that message through actions, now we've got a basis to start. That's where it started, understanding that it wasn't just about putting chemicals in and watching your plants grow, but understanding the intimate relationship that you have with the plants, with the soil, with the microbes, and finding that balance to where everything can coexist. And that's where it led to my discovery and learning and, and just really digging in to find out how people are doing it, what are some of the options, and, and how are people surviving in environments where they don't have access to chemicals and, and things like that. And, and, and you know, how, how do people produce food? We, you know, in our fortunate situation, in our abundance in our countries and in most uh, developed countries, we, we have this access of food, to, to accessibility to it, excess of food, hollow calories, you know, all of these wonderful things that we think are great progress in humanity, but it's actually a degradation to our bodies. Our bodies, the, the, the chemicals that we put in, the, the foods that we eat. Now, listen, I'm, I'm not knocking, you know, fast food. I, I snack occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and I enjoy it. But the bottom line is that what is sustainable? What is sustainable to the, I'm not just talking about being able to produce food every year, but being able to maintain that land what, and, and give back into it what you take out of it. Because it's just simple law. If you're taking out of the soil, what are you putting back in? Is it the original organic matter that was in there? Or is it something different, synthetically compounded? That's, the, that's where I see the, the, the major challenges. And my fight was to develop 
cost-effective protocols, cost-effective products, and best practices for people to develop sustainable food supplies. And, and I went absolutely the wrong way. I have failed in every aspect of trying to get this message out. But I learned a lot. I learned a lot that people are receptive to the concept of sustainability if it makes sense economically. That's the key. We have to make it economically feasible. We can have all the great wishes and desires to produce great food and to be consciously you know, aware of our environment and not do harm to it. But at the same time, at the end of the day, it comes down to how do they profit from it and how do we scale from it? Those are the two key things that I, I think are important. I don't know if that gives you a little bit of background, but that's my passion. <laughs> I love it. How did you find yourself working um, on EM and Bokashi? Uh, EM and Bokashi was on an international, um, uh, without getting into too much detail, it was a government-sponsored, working with an NGO, you know, an NGO program. And there was a, um, a tremendous amount of drug abuse in a certain part of this country where people and youngsters were just um, gallivanting and just creating chaos because there was nothing to do. There was no economy, there was nothing. And part of this restoration was to introduce agricultural uh, concepts to the, to the um, economic cycle of that, that territory. And we went in and we showed them how to farm. But farming also led to um, not importing chemicals, but working with what you have. And, and EM was the catalyst to that because EM was something that you could do in your backyard. I've seen EM grown with uh, watermelons and fruits and Coca-Cola and I mean, populated with that and propagated with that. So using what you have, and that's what EM was. It was a catalyst of, of, of very unique, um, accessible ingredients for sustainable farmers who had no access to outside technology. And we applied this, but what we found was that it, it grew into more than just um, biofertilizers, okay? It grew into a best practices. And that's what we saw the improvement on is that intimate relationship between the land and the farmer. Mm -hmm. That's what we were seeing that, okay, I'm getting my hands in to make these Bugashi balls, or I'm getting my hands in to make these mud balls, you know? that intimate physical contact rather than just putting into a spray or getting out there and just calculating what your yield to cost average ratio is going to be very, very different. So that was my first introduction to EM. And I saw the multiple applications of it, not just, you know, from a perspective as using it as a fertilizer, but using it as a waste treatment uh, suppressor um, to suppress the anaerobic and, uh, you know, green gas uh, microbes. So it had this unique balance to be able to, to suppress certain microbes and also to coexist with others, such as the photosynthetics and the lactic acids. So there's three basic um, the biologies in there, and, and that's the lactic acids, the phototropic, the yeast, the, the things that make our gut healthy, the things that make the environment wonderful, and the things that make great bread. That, that, that is the, the key. The yeast is the compound that I think really makes this whole uh, EM and microbiology come together. Just imagine this, it's still being used today when other chemicals have evolved to fifth and sixth generation already in its original form. EM1 is still EM1. I don't own any of the company. I don't know. I don't endorse their product. I just know it works. It's a great basis for, for to develop uh, a good protocol, especially when you're doing compost. Um, the concept of composting is, is, is very different in certain parts of the world. 
um, we believe in, in our in our area, aerobic soils are good. You know, um, they contain beneficial organisms. They uh, and they're resistant to diseases, right? Now, anaerobic soils are bad. That's what people say. They're bad because they contain putrefactive microorganisms and and they're susceptible to disease. So that's a mindset. That's a Western ideology now. The same as in Asia with the bamboo vinegar and effective organisms, microorganisms. Now, the Asians believe aerobic soils are naturally high in oxygen. This is one of the, I'm looking at some old notes here. It means that soil organisms can burn through their food quickly, resulting in a rapid loss of organic matter, while the nutrients uh, are made available to the plants in this process, like you were talking about before, right? Significant amounts of these nutrients are then released as gases, as CO2, and then some as an NOx as greenhouse gases. Now, anaerobic soils, which have a high population of putrefactive, this is the difference between pickling and digesting. Okay, two, two different things, okay? So we're talking about microbes that are reductive in producing toxins, they're gonna reduce that. Um, and there's also a group of organisms that produce methane and hydrogen sulfide gases like you were talking about earlier. Yeah, so you're spot on where, where your thinking process is. Um, but they have high populations of fermentive bacteria also. So you have to, to watch these balances. So it's a mindset change. Mostly what you're seeing here, why uh, EM and, and other biologicals and inoculants and stimulants are so effective is, is the crops that are being grown. Mostly Southeast Asia and, and Latin America are rice crops. They're, they're flooded paddies. So these, they're, the environment is set for you know, this type of product or this type of concept of using biology in, in a aerobic and anaerobic balance back and forth, understanding and adding and, and subtracting as compared to conventional where we're talking molecules, atoms, dimes, you know, nanoparticle sizes, you know, phthalates and things like that. So it's a totally different language, but the concept is the same. We want sustainable um, farming that is effective, number one, but also can it be replicated year after year? Regenerative. I don't believe conventional farming is regenerative. I don't think that you can put in 20-20-20 and pull out 50-50-50 and then put another 20-20 in next year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's my personal opinion with some scientific fact behind it. So that's, that's where that came from. And the quest has been, been going on, you know, moving from the microorganisms. Okay, yes, we've got the basis for microorganisms. You've got the ability to compost tea. You, you, it's a great compost tea starter. But how scalable is that? Are you going to do a 1,500-gallon tank every day <laughs> to spray your land? You know? And, and what is the consistency of the microbes in the raw material? How do you batch check everything? Yeah. You can't because you don't know what the raw material is. So we've got to go back to finding some scalable foundation, some baseline in order to build upon. And that's where um, hyperdrive came in. We, we understand the science that we can keep putting chemicals in the soil. Even, even we can put compost in the soil, but how much is that being digested? What nutrients are we actually delivering to the plant? And what is the time frame before that's converted between the chelation, the pulling back of other ingredients, the pushing of other ingredients, the, the reactions between that chemical compound and this chemical compound, before all of that filters into the root system, then that energy has to be converted, pulled up to the plant, to the leaf, and then the fruit has to occur. 
Mm-hmm. That's a long time. Yeah. Well, why don't, instead of trying to get this hole in one all the time and, and leaving all of that wasted chemical in the soil and wasted money and wasted time and effort, and then, you, then the cake pan's rising because of all those chemicals just pounding up and there's no water getting in. You can ask any farmer, that cake pan's moving up you know, every day. It used to be 12 inches, now it's eight inches, now it's seven inches. And that's just brutal on your equipment, absolutely brutal on your equipment. So the concept was, okay, if I can formulate one thing, and, and it has to be a broad spectrum, okay, what would it be? I needed something that can stick on some leaves so that it doesn't get wasted into the soil. Meaning that we're gonna start, foliar feeding has always been recognized as a spot treatment very specific spot treatments for diseases, for nutrition deficiencies and things like that. But why can't we use that concept and just use it mass scale? Meaning that if we can use the largest surface area of the plant, meaning the stems, the stalks, the leaves, okay, if we can use that as a feeding and and conversion apparatus, rather than going through all of that energy on the bottom, wasting that energy, target specific enzymes in the cells that actually produce the glucose deliver it to them directly, pure food. That's like us eating raw vegetables straight into the system. No cooking, no digestive, I mean, nothing. This is what the plant, that's why you're seeing the reaction you're seeing because it's that instant impact of opening up, breaking the surface tension, first of all, getting through that waxy layer of the leaf and going directly to the cell and feeding it exactly what it needs to convert energy. You've taken 95% of the battle out of the plant. Now it's receiving 100% straight up food. It's like an IV injection. And it can be food, anything from biological, meaning the EM1 or any other biological. It can be um, any type of uh, natural fungicide or herbicide like neem oil or any different types of those oils. But you're penetrating. But our goal is to drive that yield, to get that plant to convert that energy to be healthy, to protect itself against disease, to repel insects, and also convert that sugar into fruit and to propagate, push it to what it's supposed to do, propagate and generate fruit. So this is the product that we need. We identify the humic acids, we identify the the different fulvic acids, we identify the different key compounds that these cells need to thrive on a nano level. On a nano level, I'm not talking large size bulk, you know, convoluted chemical compounds, simple compounds. I mean, the base of this formula is castor oil. We know it to be a deterrent to insects. We don't want to kill anything. We just want to deter. I want to push you away. This is not good food for you. It's my food, not your food. <laughs> you know? so I don't want to kill anything. I don't want to liquefy. I don't want to liquefy an insect's insides. I don't want to kill a bee. I don't want to kill butterflies. What I want to do is have that natural ability for that plant to say, you know what, I want to live more than you, so you need to move to the next plant. That yeah. frequency of what it's talking about. Yeah, it's totally a frequency. I too, I too believe that. And I've read the research around mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. I want to just clarify, because I know many of my listeners are followers of John Kemp, and he talks about how the highest layer of health is that waxy sheen on leaves. But this mm-hmm. penetrates that because it's neutral. And, and when it penetrates it, it actually rebounds that. It makes it stronger. So when you go a few days later, that waxy shine on the leaves 
even though it's still receptive to what you spray on it, it's actually enhanced and it's growing thicker and it's healthier. And I've seen it on several different types of plants from corn yeah. to perennials to, to landscape to flowers. I've seen that, that it has that waxy layer, but it still is absorbent. So it has the protection there. That the cuticle is, is really what, what that wax layer is. And, and, and that is a defensive mechanism, but it's also a deterrent to plants because it, nitrification occurs every day in plants in the evening when they breathe and they have this respiratory exchange with the environment where they're processing the toxins and the pollutions and, and giving us what we need, which is oxygen. So that's part of the conversion process of that leaf. What you're seeing on those plants is that it's, an, it's a direct um, stimulation of the photosynthesis in the leaf. That's why you're seeing that deep green. So we're targeting the specific cells inside each organism or each tissue cell, okay, and driving that to produce the most amount of energy for the plant. So it's not wasting its energy downstairs. Okay, and we don't affect that cuticle. That cuticle is there. If you look at it under a microscope, it's still there. It's just in a more transparent form. And the product being that it's non-ionic, it is a neutral charge. Whether it's a biological positive charge or it's a negative charge, it'll attach all to it. That's what makes it unique is that it binds not only the, the compound, but it binds it to the tissue and it holds both together. That's what makes it very unique. Wow. And that's the cost efficiency that we need to create for farmers. So when you spray it and you're seeing that wetting and spreading action, that's that immediate penetration, but it's also going right down into the cellular level and giving that plant that little jump saying, Hey, wait a minute, this is a new type of food here. I'm getting, I'm getting good stuff here. Let me just convert this into energy right away rather than wasting my time trying to find food through my root system, which is six inches away. Yeah, That's and then the reverse happens, right? It's not just that the, the, the roots stop trying to suck everything out of the soil. This photosynthetic boost causes a boost in the soil so that the soil gets- You got it. Tons more malate, tons of more carbonic acids, tons of all these sugars. And then the soil food Absolutely. web jumps up and the plants then are feeding off the secondary metabolites of the actual, the, the fungi, the bacteria, the archaea, and that's what they are, is ideal for them. So this is a way of jumping in and quickly fixing things or preventing things from ever happening, right? The prevention part is, is up to the plant and your best practices. I mean, no matter how hard you try to predict everything that's gonna happen, you just can't. I mean, preventative as far as giving strength to the plant and, and giving the soil a good balance in order to, to be able to defend itself against cesarium or different types of other uh, invasive uh, bacteria and funguses. Yeah, I mean, yes, you're trying to give, it's like any, it's like introducing the brown snake on a snake island. Okay? I mean, it's going to just dominate if, if, if without any predators, you know, it's just going to dominate. So this is where you have, to, you have to be very careful about working with biologicals. You don't want to introduce a species of biology into an environment where it overtakes the existing biology. Right. That's why the new norm right now, there's a lot of studies being done of uh, replicating local uh, biologicals that are there and replicating those based on the soil conditions of the territory. So that's a big movement that I see going on now. I spoke to a few friends that are doing that now, where they're actually cultivating that biology, 
from that particular area so you're not introducing biology from another area. Right. So Green people are business. making very concerted efforts. Yeah. Yep. yep. Especially in permaculture. I mean, that's, that's a big thing for you guys. I mean, just cultivating that, that balance. I love it when you guys, you know, when I'm learning a lot from you, you know, what oh. you guys do by reading, reading. So I'm blending it in and the master's just sitting here with his hat on, you know, just with the smile on. You're going to kick in to this, Master Mike? Well, you know, the way I, I discuss it in my classes, workshops, and presentations is that we have come to a point in the soil region with the roots where we kind of hit the wall, as you've described it to me. Yep. And the new frontier is in the foliar. And when we do that, it ignites the root zones and the cation exchange to uh, perform even better. And so I learned many years ago a, a, a phrase that said, every man to his own fig tree. And this was about 45 years ago. My mentor taught it to me and he didn't explain what it was. And I asked him and he said, you're going to have to find out for yourself. So I, this is a long time before internet. I went to the library and I'm going through the card catalogs and I'm having absolutely no luck whatsoever. And the librarian came over and said, you seem to be having a difficult time. You've been here for hours and you look frustrated. And I said, I am. So she said, what are you looking for? I said, I'm looking to find out as much as I can about a phrase that goes every man to his own fig tree. And she looked at me and she said, well, I know what that is. And I went, you do? She goes, yeah, it's, it's actually uh, in the Bible many times. And it refers to uh, eating the foods from the region you live in sharing with your neighbors, growing everything, and living within a region rather than importing everything. And it goes perfectly with what you said about using the existing microbiology in the soil rather than bringing in from another place. So as I started looking into this more and more, and then I started hypothesizing on my own part, this was very powerful stuff because it, it not only helped our food and our own environment and our immune, immunity to uh, allergies and other things by eating local bee, you know, a local honey, local bee pollen, and all of those things. But it started to look that it, in, in, it invested in our community where others would share with each other. And so it not only was on a, you know, a chemical and food value level, but it started to work in a society level where we all, you know, work and help each other out. It goes from this little microbial level all the way out into us as beings and then into our community and everybody got included in it. So I take that with you know a, a very powerful statement that it really means something when we're doing everything in our own region, whether that's a 25 mile radius or whatever it may be, um, trying to keep it all local and regionalizing all this rather than centralizing it, which is the same thing with biochar production all of us who have been in this for many years, we're, we're always talking about regionalizing it. You don't want to be shipping your feedstocks too far. And you want everything coming from the community, going in and then coming back out again and staying within the community as much as possible. So I'm in total alignment with that. Um, you know, I, my, the, what I, I guess what I do well is <clears throat> I take all this information I receive from you and all the others that I learned from old gurus and people that I've learned from and take it and decipher it down into a language that everyone can kind of understand. And so when we're talking about um, sustainable or what I like to refer more to re regenerative because sustainability is more of like treading water and regenerative is moving forward 
and repairing and regenerating our soils, our lands, our communities, you know, and on and on out. It just keeps going out. It, it doesn't stop. It has, it's a full circle thing. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's exactly what we're all talking about, just using different words to describe it. So uh, working with hyperdrive, as long as I've been working with it, um, I, I, there's no question that I can see that it is not only an incredibly effective way of working through the foliar applications, but it really is a tremendous savings in many ways because we're saving on the amount of foliar we're going to do. One gallon of foliar with hyperdrive will do three, four, and up to five gallons of a regular foliar spray because you don't need to throw so much at it. Um, we are noticing that we're using less nutrients in there, whether it be fertilizers or organic nutrients or whatever it may be. We don't need as much, and especially if we have biochar in our soil, then we know we're holding on to it by its nutrient holding abilities. So there's so many factors involved with what this hyperdrive has done and is doing and will continue to do. Um, it's it's mind-boggling in a way, you know. Um, output goes up less pesticide if you're using them or pesticide deterrent type products like bamboo vinegar, which I use. Um, I like bamboo vinegar the most out of all of these uh, so-called deterrents. And the reason I like it, or, or wood vinegars in general, is that nature did this a half a billion years ago. It's the smoke from the fire that's as important as the fire. You know, we know that this fire is essential to the ecosystem. Of course, we don't want our homes and businesses to burn down. But we have to use biomimicry to mimic what nature does in our urban areas by making the biochar in a clean way, making the wood vinegars in a clean way, and utilizing them in our, in our urban areas. So the smoke from the fire covers everything, leaves that sticky residue, and that condenses into these wood vinegars. In our case, it's bamboo. Um, I kind of prefer bamboo over the hardwood and softwoods. Not that there's anything wrong with them. They work fine. But the bamboo vinegar is more regenerative and sustainable in its source of making it. It also has a lot of silica where the hardwoods and softwoods do not have as much silica. So there's a number of reasons why I prefer and steer towards the bamboo vinegar. But these vinegars, these wood vinegars are very complex vinegars, unlike apple cider or white vinegar, which are very simple compounds or fermentations. And this is a pyrolytic vinegar. So it has hundreds of organic compounds that the plants thrive on. So in addition to using it as a insect deterrent, it also helps to stimulate growth. And they've been working. You know, in my observations, I'm out there a lot. I do a lot of different things. And I also do work out in the field. So when I go to an area where fires have just come through within the last year or less, the most noticeable thing that I notice is that all of the trees and plants that have survived this fire are thriving even more than normal. Plants and trees that go through fire have far greater advantage than those that don't. And again, we don't wanna have fire everywhere, but we mimic nature in utilizing those things that nature leaves behind as a result of the fire, like the biochar, managing the water, nutrients, and microbiology in the soil, and the smoke covering everything, condensing into these vinegars to protect those plants. So these plants and trees that I notice in the fire regions, and I happen to live in the middle of the whole darn thing. These trees and people, when I go to their homes and, and, I, and I'm observing and I explain to them these things that, wow, we never knew that. That's why our trees are doing so well right now. We just had that fire come through in the last year. 
And those trees yeah. are stimulated by that. And they thrive from that. So, you know, what I like to do is to study indigenous practice, nature's mimicry as much as we can to mimic what nature does and not try to reinvent the wheel. What I've been working on mostly um, is my own property. And it's kind of a showplace, so to speak, for lack of a better term. And it's trying, trying to set an example. So what I'm doing on my property is everything I can do to the utmost. I just take everything to a different level. Our composting setup, our food forest, our raised beds, our rainwater collection, whatever it may be. We also don't remove anything from the property that's organic. So we reuse, repurpose, recycle all of the organic materials that come into this property or that grow on the property, either making compost, mulch, or out of the wood materials, we make biochar. Every fruit pit, nut pit, nutshell, avocado pit, everything, every toothpick and, and chopstick from takeout, everything is saved and turned into something else. So we use in our water tanks, we put large mesh bags of biochar in there to keep the water clean. And when that, every year we change it out and take that biochar and then we put it into the composting and then it goes into the soils. So it's always a constant, it's a full circle thing. We try not to have anything go out off the property. The green bins that we use for our wet yard waste, they've been sitting <laughs> in that yard for eight years, just storing things because there's no, necess no necess necessity to put them out in the street and they have to go to a landfill. So um, anyway, that's, that's kind of how I look at things. And I have people coming through the garden all the time. Uh, the food forest, oh my gosh, gentlemen, it is absolutely astounding what we have done. And I'm so proud of what we have done back there. Um, we planted many trees and bushes, all food bearing. We have hundreds of pollinator plants, edible plants, culinary plants, medicinal plants produce of a wide, wide variety. And in the next two months, it's going to explode out there. Uh, we just took our winter crops out of one of our main raised beds. We're putting all our summer crops in as we speak. Uh, the garlic came up incredible. One of the things that I use uh, bamboo vinegar for is to germinate seeds. And why, I've, why I do this is because it works so well, but how it came to me was when you think about fire, not only does fire clean up excess plants, but many plants and trees require fire to pump out their seeds. The sequoias would not exist without fire. They can't pump seeds out until fire comes along. That's the stimulus for that action. So while this is happening, the smoke is covering those seeds, condensing into this wood or bamboo vinegar or wood vinegar in general, and it's stimulating their germination. So using the bamboo vinegar for germinating seeds is amazing. First thing you'll find is that the percentage of seeds that you germinate with this solution, it's one ounce per gallon of water, try to use clean water. We're seeing that it's almost all the seeds will pop. Even acorn seeds, which are so hard to propagate, when we do that, we find they all germinate. Secondly, it gives them an incredible early growth stage. They just have this tremendous push, like feeding a baby the finest you know, food and the best nutrition you can, they grow up to be strong. And that's the things that I've noticed. 
the seeds germinate a little quicker, they germinate healthier, and more of them germinate. And I have a number of clients that are using this now who have been having terrible time with germinating seeds in the last couple of years, basil, lettuce, and a few others. And they've adopted this practice, and it's so simple to do, so inexpensive to do, it makes no sense not to, that they call me up and they just say, I, I just can't believe I have never done this before. You know, it's so darn simple. Even old seeds, one of the guys is taking his old lettuce seeds from seven and eight years ago, which he never thought would be anything, and they're germinating and making healthy plants. That seed has the DNA in it, and most seeds can survive a very long time, much longer than the expiration date on that seed packet. And what I do with my seeds is I store them in powdered biochar, a very small amount, so it keeps them clean and safe. And then when I do the germination, I use the bamboo vinegar, and the results are absolutely incredible. With garlic, with any seed whatsoever, you will see the most amazing things occur. And it's nature did this, you know, it's not like we had to reinvent it. We just watched what nature was doing. The indigenous peoples of the world knew that managing the land with fire was a good thing. They didn't always know exactly why it worked and how it worked, but they observed that it did work and they adopted those practices. So that's the, that's the emphasis for how I think and how I do and how I work and how I share with others. So again, getting back to our property, it's really here to set an example and show people that if you would just adopt a few of these practices, you're going to be moving along. You don't have to spend a lot of money. You know, in the gardening world, there's so many newfangled you know, gadgets and junk and it's all mostly just crap, but people who don't know who wanted to get into it, they're so gung-ho to learn and learn and they get caught in these traps of buying these things that are really unnecessary. So really, you know, good tools are important, but keep it simple. You know, you don't need a lot of newfangled kind of items or, or uh, chemicals or whatever it may be, you know, out there that everybody's pumping on the gardening world, especially now because they see everybody wants to have their own food sustainable source. You know, their, their uh, self-sufficiency. One of the other things, though, that you get when you do these things, like create your own gardens and so forth to grow your own food, is if you do your soil right, according to what I call living soil protocols, create with the right ingredients or protocols that you use to do that, is you're also getting nutrient-dense food that you can't buy even in the best organic food markets. That's another major bonus that people aren't quite getting, but I see it and I've learned about it from a number of researchers. Graham Sait down in, in Australia, I did a, a week-long seminar with him and he showed us, you know, point blank, it's the nutrient density is as important as having the sustainability. And you get that by creating the right soil. So creating a living soil, which some of us have dirt, some of us have soil, some of us have living soil, and there is a distinct difference. And a living soil is a regenerative soil. It actually gets better and better if you maintain it right. And maintaining it is very easy. Rather than going out and buying the most expensive bag soil in one or two years, it's depleted out. So we create living soil by using a base soil, our biochar, our compost, our worm castings, mineralization, critical, all, all cellular structure life on earth came from minerals. And and the simplest organisms billions of years ago formed at the bottom of the ocean from minerals, not from photosynthesis, because there was no light down there. So mineralization of our soils is critical. 
The next thing is balancing our bacterial and fungal. Because when you have that proper ba balance between them, you've got the right pH. And bacterial is pretty hardy. You know, we don't have to worry about it too much, but it's the fungal qualities, the mycelial fungal qualities of our soil that we really have to, you know, uh, substantiate, build up, and then protect. So we use mycorrhizae in various forms, either granular directly in the soil or concentrates through a liquid drench. And then once we've got those components into our soil, the topper is mulch, doing the proper mulch. You know, when the leaves fall from a tree, nature says, don't you dare move those. That's part of the cycle. So we mulch properly, and then we protect the water in the soil, the moisture. We protect the sun from beating down with its UV rays on the surface of the soil. The longer it beats down on bare soil, the more it kills biology going down. That mulch is important for that. But also, as the mulch deteriorates, it feeds the mycorrhizae fungal. And when water, rainwater or irrigation water goes through mulch, it creates humics, humates. So it's advancing the soil in so many different ways. So mulching is, 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 a, is a critical part of that living soil. Once we have that soil and we have biochar in there, which is a permanent amendment, it'll be there centuries, managing the water, the nutrients and the microbiology, then we're just gonna be adding our organic inputs like our, our composts, our worm castings and other similar types of inputs to maintain that. And now we've got what we really need is the soil because it doesn't matter how pretty your garden is, without that soil, you're nowhere. That's where you came into my life, Richard. You showed me the other direction and that was the foliar. I only did foliar to some extent prior to that with bamboo vinegar by itself and I'd have to use a surfactant like Dr. Bronner's or some other surfactant in there to adhere it a little bit more to that high surface tension on the leaves and hope that it would get in there. The hyperdrive changed everything. All my work has changed simply from this one thing that you had created because it gives us the ability to feed the factory. All the work is really happening in the in a photosynthesis in those leaves. And if we can act like an IV and get that nutrient or that biology into those leaves through the stomata into the cell structure, we have taken ourselves to such a level that, we, that no one has ever done before. No one has ever really thought about it. You know, we've kind of hit the wall on cation exchange and getting nutrients through the root zone. The new frontier, you know, it's like you're, you're an astronaut going to a planet that no one has ever been to before, and you're showing us that way. And that way is through the foliar. Now, people are doing foliar, don't get me wrong, but this gives us an ability to take foliar to a level we've never been able to do before. And that's what really excites me about, you know, and it's just added more layers of wonderfulness to the work that I'm doing. And you can see it physically right in front of your eyes within a day and over a few weeks, you know. Um, people call me up all the time and they say, hey, I feel like I spray painted my leaves greener. Or I can't believe I'm getting shoots on my bamboo like I've never gotten before. I've had this bamboo, this clumping bamboo for years and it's done, you know, slowly. Now it's doing just mat with your corn. So, it's changed the whole paradigm of what I'm doing. It, it, I'm, I was always excited, but now I just can't contain it anymore. So, you know, with that said, I'm sure there's more we want to talk about. Matt, I'm sure you have some questions that you want to get into. Uh, um, but bamboo vinegar has multitudes of uses, or wood vinegars. Um, I have a beauty company that we're putting it into our body lotion because it's incredible for the skin. I bathe with bamboo vinegar 
along with Epsom salts, and my skin feels fantastic. Uh, I just got a call the other day from a company making uh, hair products and beauty products from Korea. It's an American company. They've been manufacturing in Korea. And he called me about bamboo vinegar. And I went, oh, well, what did you want to do with it? I didn't know he was doing this until he told me. I thought he was a farmer from Wisconsin. He says, no, I want to put it in my beauty products. And I said, well, I didn't tell him what I was doing. I just basically, you know, asked him what he was up to and what I would do. And it was very exciting to see that because it has so many uses. Same with biochar, carbon, charcoal. It's trending in our society at a rate that you can't believe. You know, if you go onto Amazon and put charcoal in there, you'll be blown away with how many things have it. Shampoos, soaps, toothpaste, deodorant. Everything has got carbon in it these days. It's trending uh, charcoal lemonades, charcoal pizzas, charcoal everything. It's going crazy all over the world. People send me pictures from Italy of a charcoal pizza, from Toronto of a charcoal pizza. In um, Japan, once a year, the Burger King makes a char puts charcoal in the bun and in the cheese. They do it as a trend because in Japan, charcoal and, and these wood vinegars have always been popular in society. They've always been there. Asia has understood these wood vinegars for centuries. Here in America, it's just catching on a little bit. I, I have the only certified organic um, wood vinegar, or and again, in our case, bamboo vinegar, in the United States. No one else has one. And it's been seven years now. And it took three and a half years to get the CDFA, California Department of Food and Agriculture, to even certify it because they didn't understand it. So here we are now with all these wonderful things to do. And now I guess our work is to uh, share this with everybody so that they can work in these sustainable regenerative practices and create their own food at home, create nutrient dense foods. Um, you know, victory gardens were very popular in World War I and World War II. 40% of all agriculture in World War II was created in, in victory gardens in communities throughout the United States. And that's all coming back. This pandemic has made us aware that we have to, you know, we can't just rely on you know, the stores. We have to create our own sources of our own food because that is what our lives depend upon more so than anything else, more so than toilet paper or whatever else. I, I, the bamboo vinegar part, I, you know, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. I mean, I, I see the benefits of it, and especially in these um, communities, you know, in, in Asia, they, they, they put it in everything. I mean, and, and it's not as concentrated as yours. I, I've seen the difference. Um, it's very um, yellowish, almost tintish, like, a, like a, a, it's got like a, a, a tint to it. But yours is just very deep and rich, and it's just concentrated. Yeah, very, it's very better to make it as concentrated as you can because then you don't have to ship as much around. You can dilute yeah, it much further, um, and and every dilution rate has a different purpose to it. I see. I, I mean, again, it's understanding the product. Yes. What's incredible is when you look up when you look up bamboo vinegar. You, you see studies, there are endless websites, and there's so much on health. It decreases inflammatory on PubMed. Um, it's, got, it's got so much in it that the, the effects are, are I, I think that there's effects that are interacting with other effects. Um, it's it's yeah. incredible. And it's that complexity that all these plants are readily understanding. <laughs> when they respond to us 
or, or us, us adding this to, a, to the situation. And I think that so often we, when we go in, we have to make it so complicated to understand where things are actually going and everything. But it's so amazing how simple it is for the plant. And when we actually use these, these amazing products, how simple it really is. You're putting, you know, the teeniest amount, the teeniest amount into a, into a one gallon of water and you're adding teeniest amount of this too. And then you are shaking up vigorously and, and you're just spraying it on with, with, with an atomizer or something that's just like this, just as fine. And exactly. And barely going on and it's having such a significant difference we we've arrived at a completely new space with this this i mean for years i've slogged around the five gallon barrel or bucket with the compost tea sloshing on my feet and i'm like trying to like you know use it judiciously and like like ladle it and like slosh it onto like areas well. And I eventually got a sprayer. I figured that out. But, but man, I, this just takes everything. Not only does it make it so it's easy so that, you know, my mom, all her friends and, you know, and, and those are great grandparents all can do this. It's safe. And, and the results are completely different from chemical ag, whether they're, they're, they're boosting these major drivers. This is a holistic lift that's allowing that palette of nutrition to come in. Mm. Not MPK, but the whole spectrum. I like to you add in help when I do it so that I get that full, all the, the trace, the the micro, you know what I mean? All of the, the different elements in, in their great vastness so the plant itself can decide. And the, the results are incredible. I had peach tree wilt, you know, peach leaf, they, they wilt, they get this canker on them. It's a fungal yeah. pathogenic thing. It's actually feeding on the sugars inside the plant. It's broken through the cell walls. I yep. sprayed this on it. And within days, all the new leaves were pure. And then all yep. the, the, the infected leaves were infected by a, a beneficial fungi that was killing them. And they're just turning black. And meanwhile, the leaf next to them is like, ah, just like growing yep. like, like there's a symphony <laughs> happening. And it was one application of hyperdrive, one application of kelp. And and, and, and I had EM in there too. I had EM in there too. But, but it's, it's, yeah. it's like, that's how powerful this is. Whatever your practice is, you can take it to another level with hyperdrive, I believe. And that's what I've seen. I Absolutely. Especially your, your viewers and, and your subscribers that follow. Um, exactly what you're doing, uh, Matt, is, is the ability to customize and, and to be able to um, fit it into your best practices. That's the unique tool that you have at your disposal is the freedom to be able to use, whether it's a biological uh, kelp, uh, humix, uh, fulvix, whatever you want to put in, it'll carry anything. Our job is to deliver. And it's up to the farmer to decide, you know, what they want to put in. But with, as a standalone, if you had nothing, the hyperdrive would be sufficient to drive uh, good plant health and good soil health. 
it reminds me of a point that I'd like to make so everybody understands this. It's just what you said, it drives everything in. So when we are mixing it with water, we wanna use the cleanest water we can get. We wanna either use rainwater, distilled water, uh, spring water, uh, very well filtered water, not just straight tap water because of the chlorine, chloramine, fluoride, other things, they will also drive into the plant as well. So it's always very good practice to use the cleanest possible water. And it is in the protocol instructions that come with it. I always stress with people, read the instructions and follow them explicitly. Don't waver from it because we've, we've yeah, written these instructions as simple as they are yeah. from the experiences and the knowledge that we have about all the little factors that are involved in using this properly. And so the proper water. Yeah, I'm going to double down on what you said there. The, when, especially when you work with foliars, it all comes down to inclusion ratios. That, that's what makes foliars work and not work. Um, the, the same product you could say is, is a good product, but if you use too much of it, you'll get the, the curling of the tips of the leaves. You'll get the, the, um, the oversaturation. Um, you'll get the, the yellowing on the edges. Um, and you'll get an immediate reaction right away. So Inclusion ratios and the dosages are, are most critical. And, and as you said, we've learned from our mistakes and, and most of our fault. Oh, I, when I first got the product, I made some terrible mistakes. I remember I that. A lot of it. I was throwing so much at it. And yep. all of those things happened. I set up a little controlled experiment, you know, excited, and then it slammed me in the face how wrong I did it. And yeah, I, I remember learned. It. So I learned from it. And of course, that mistake is no longer. And when I made that mistake, I immediately started rewriting or adding to the protocol instructions. Mm -hmm. So every time I use it and I learn something else, I, I, I don't print up thousands of these instructions. I print them up as I need them because I'm always adding little you know, additions or, or uh, variations to the protocol so that we finally come up to the point where we're not. Now, right now, I'm very comfortable with it. I don't think there's too much else that I'm going to make a mistake on. I've learned how to use it thoroughly. I've learned how to explain it easily. You know who Eustace von Liebig was, Matt? He is the man who came up with NPK. And you should definitely be reading on him. I have several of his books. He did Animal Husbandry. He was working with biochar in the 1840s. So he created, you know, came up with the concept of NPK, you know, organically. He is also considered the godfather of modern organic farming and gardening. But so huh. few people know who he is or anything about him. He was lost in history. So what is very interesting is I find that there's a correlation or a, a, a similarity in their lives that he created this NPK idea. And then around the turn of the last century, in the 1900s into, uh, you know, uh, from the 1800s to 1900s, the uh, chemical ag industry was born because they realized they can take both um, fossil fuel and, and um, and other things to create this NPK, synthesize it, and make agriculture expand. It was not what Eustace von Liebig had in mind, but there is no Eustace von Liebig award. <laughs> no, that never got no, named. Similarity no, between no. their lives, they both did things for a noble cause, for altruistic yeah. reasons to help humanity, and both of their creations, inventions, ideas, and so forth, got perturbed or, or got ruined by industry. One of the things I also started to read about in, in studying him, it, not so much him, but 
when the uh, petrochemical industry started to synthesize NPK, and they started making a lot of money, they realized that the only way they're going to make this really stick and go and stay is that they went to the educational institutions, all the higher education, colleges, universities, schools that taught agriculture, and they sponsored things there. And basically they bought the, uh, the, the, the protocols and the, and the institutional educational ways of things. And so all you were really taught there was what they wanted you to learn. Right. So they basically lobbied it and, and bought it up. And so when I talk to, you know, landscapers or farmers, well, I went to school, I learned this, this is, you know, yeah, you did. But, you know, you got to realize if you look back at the history, you were sold a bill of goods and you didn't even really realize it. Yep. And it's not, you know, I don't want to, I don't slap them in the face with it, but many of them come to me and say, you know, I finally got it and I want to learn something else. And they come to me and I'm not a degree scientist. I'm just a guy who's been planting things for 59 years you know, working with plants and I learn and I experience and then I work with, you know, people like Richard and many of the other scientists and friends that I have. And my, my ability is to be able to take this information and discern it down into common language and share it out and, and expose those groups that have perturbed it and, and enhance those groups and those ideas that are, are getting us back to where we want to be. And that that's it in a nutshell. So, but you know, I, I, I want to touch on I want to touch on something that, you know, especially with your subscribers, Matt, that are using compost teas right now. Um, you know, as we were discussing, the consistency of each compost tea is based on the input material that you have. The hyperdrive is a great accelerant. EM one with hyperdrive because the hyperdrive has a core of uh, carbon. It, have you sent Matt the test results, Michael? Um, I might have sent him some, but if yeah, you... I, 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 if, if you don't mind, please send that to him because you, you want to see the carbon content. What do microbes need? They need carbon. Just tying back into what you said, you know, the, you know, the larger structure carbon, but this is a molecular carbon. This is a readily available carbon ready to process. Mm -hmm. um, so that carbon for microbiology is a great start of fuel. It, it's food. So they're not having to live off the waste of other microbes. And that's, that's how most of these compost teas work. But to keep it stabilized, I, I think the EM does a good job, but also introducing hyperdrive into compost teas as you're fermenting and developing those, those, uh, those teas, yeah. I, I think is also a very important process. Yeah. I am going to do that. That is awesome. I was always, I've wondered about it, that. Yeah. I was like, how can I improvise with hyperdrive? It's so powerful. Like, what would you add, amount, how much hyperdrive would you add to a 55-gallon barrel of compost tea? Because I usually try to do it in the 50-gallon barrel size. I'm going to stick with the same uh, inclusion ratio as, as we recommend. Uh, when you get the, the product, I mean, we, we're recommending one ounce per gallon of water. That seems right. to be the universal standard. And, and what you're doing here, are you talking about finished tea or are you composting the tea in the 55-gallon? Are you composting? Are you making the tea? Are you brewing? Or are you uh, oh, already finished and you want to just yeah. keep populating so, it? So let's talk about both. So what if you're taking a bag of actively air, like, um, like uh, actively turned compost, that hot thermophilic compost, and doing a bag of it in there versus yeah. doing mm -hmm. 
um, ingredients with EM. Like, I mean, I, I basically do this all the time where I take EM and then I take a nitrogenous source uh, of, 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 of food and combine them and leave it for a few days. And then it's amino acids. Sure. Not completely, but it's a lot of sure. amino acids sure. have been created through that process. And then you I got the starter of amino acids, the breakdown. You know, right. Yeah. So there I would probably make the first introduction because you're, what you're introducing through the hyperdrive is a carbon source. Okay. Is a food source. What does biology survive on? Carbon. Right. And the uniqueness of the EM1 is that it's, it's one family living off the waste of another family and coexisting together. Yeah. So what we want to do is to support that and give them some food so that they can propagate. Because the goal in, in, in brewing tea is to create the propagation, to accelerate propagation. And that's what you want to do. You want to accelerate propagation. We got to get faster. We got to get better at growing things faster. So now, would we <coughs> doing the, the uh, hyperdrive along with the brewing or after adding it? Both. Okay. Yeah. Both. Because once you get the first step done while you're, you're propagating two different things, the digestion and the fermentative process and the composting is a different active, it's a different mode of action than, than once you've got the tea brewed and you're ready to apply. Right. Even once you have the tea brewed and ready to apply, it still has to grow, it still has to propagate. Instead of hitting it with molasses, which is typically what people use, or backstrap molasses, use the hyperdrive as the food source. Give it the glucose that you normally give it, which is the sugar so it can break it down, or the rice bran in terms of bugashi, so that it has some sort of starchy carbohydrate to break down. Mm -hmm. But that, that granular carbon that you use in the, in the biochar is valuable, but also on a nanoparticle level, the liquid um, is very important to, the, to both stages of life, whether it's being applied or being digestive. Both are very active. I would recommend that you do that. And we had talked to somebody about that a while back. I don't know if you remember that. I have a truck pulling up and I don't have to go, but it's full of molasses. <laughs> That's awesome. There's a, you a know, big truck coming in here now to deliver me boxes and boxes so, of molasses. Matt, as you're, as you're developing these things, I mean, I want you to experiment with, with some of these things. What you're getting is um, that, that product that you have there is, I believe that the uh, opportunities are endless because it's, being that it's a neutral charge, being that the pH is so low in it that, um, you know, you don't have any biological activity in it, which was the key to shelf life, but also the key to being able to work with it in the field with other products. And, and that was why we created this product, to be very easy to use, but also have a broad spectrum multi-purpose applications, whether it's delivering bamboo vinegar or whether it's delivering a specific um, you know, 0014 into, into a plant or a specific um, disease requirement or nutrition requirement, but you're going to be able to really narrow down your protocol and you're going to be able to use laser precision instead of just general broadcasting and hope that it works. So this is going to streamline. One more, one more thing that comes to mind when I touch upon. Excited. Um, basically, our formula is one ounce per gallon. However, we have talked, you and I, about the various kinds of plants. We have C3, we have C4, we have CAM. And right. sometimes on C4s, which tend to be tropical or super high ten surface tension leaves, yes. we up, the, yeah. up it to sometimes up to two ounces. <laughs> but for right. general purposes, we recommend just sticking, sticking with a one ounce. But there are other variations. And as you get experienced in using it, you'll find that you will alter that around. The same thing with bamboo vinegar. The one thing I've always shared with people is, you're experimenting. 
here's my guideline of my dilution rates from one to 1,000 down to one to 100. Uh, you can't hurt anything by increasing or decreasing that ratio a little bit. Play with it. Learn how it works on your plants, on your applications, yep. in your region. Here's the general chart of application. I would agree with that. I can. I originally started out with four milliliters per gallon for doing seeds. It's now one. I'm redoing the uh, bamboo vinegar chart. Uh, it's one ounce per gallon. And the difference would be is on smaller seeds with thinner shells, we do it for about 30 minutes. On much harder shelled seeds, we do it for longer, maybe a few hours. And then just drain them, drain off the liquid or strain it out. And then either plant, sow them directly in the soil, put them in pots, put them in rockwell, put them in cocoa core things, whatever method, or in between paper towels, whatever method you're gonna do your final germination rate. The, the soaking of the seeds in the bamboo vinegar solution, one ounce per gallon, is essential. And the success rate I've had with it is just astronomical. So, wow. you know, there is always that experimentation that, you know, the people who are, we're talking to, we want them to know, you know, it's not just this, you know. You know, you get stuck in that. You want to experiment. You want to yeah, broaden your horizon. The limit. Learn. <laughs> Learn about this. Play with it. Create your own NPK. Have fun you know, with it. design yeah. your own biology. You know, have fun with it. I you mean, don't have this to have a degree garden. to do this. It's all visual. No. It's experiential. No. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that you know, we we have the basis to be able to allow. And I, I think that's what's missing from from farming in general is, is the excitement, enthusiasm, the intimate relationships that that you have. Yeah. And we need to reintroduce that you know, to people. We are an agrarian-based economy. I mean, if you look back, what got us out? It's food. Food is what got us here. We need to get back to that. We need to get back to producing good, nutritious food. And, and if we can get back to that, our people will be happy. And when our people are content and happy, we start producing again. Okay. That's my my thought on, on what's occurring today. Um, hey, food is the, is the ultimate source, man. Yeah, I mean, we are literally the result of what we've eaten in our lives. The, the composition of our body, the composition of our brain, yeah. all of it. Well, I'm you're going to have fun with this, uh, Matt. You're going to have fun with this. And I've got a lot of different technologies coming your way, okay, based on the same properties and principles that we've got now. This coronavirus has given me time to sit down and really just take time to really focus on some science and I've got some cool stuff coming down the pipe for you guys. Okay. Oh, really? So and, and I, I don't get excited easy. You can ask him, Mike, I don't. And I'm excited about this new product I just finished. One of the things that, um, you know, as you're applying the, any biological um, with the, uh, the hyperdrive, I mean, be aware of the photosynthetic uh, bacteria that's, that's also involved in the, in the EM and other, bac uh, other biological stimulants. Um, they're the ones that, that allow all of the organisms to coexist, the photosynthetic bacteria. That's the binder. That's, that's the one that holds everything together. It, it, it uses the light to uh, metabolize organic um, matter and other microbes. So that's where it would be very beneficial because part of the photosynthetic, now we're including the photosynthetic process with the respiratory process in both products. So our product works on the respiratory uh, systems of the plant while you're introducing the biological stimulant, which has the photosynthetic bacteria in there, pathogen, 
that helps drive that photosynthetic conversion and that energy conversion. So anything that can help the plant to increase efficiency, that is our goal, increase efficiency within the plant. So keep those, those things in mind as you're applying uh, the, these products. And, and doesn't matter, tissue is tissue. I mean, other than the separation of, uh, you know, CAM plants and C3s and C4 plants, it's also the way that they breathe. So we focus on that. Um, I think bamboo vinegar is a great product. Um, I think it's a cost-effective product that, that can be scaled tremendously. Um, I think there's a lot more work to be done ahead of us, you know, creating yeah. new new, yeah. new things to, to develop uh, simple solutions that, that, number one, are going to help people grow good food. But ultimately, it's about growing yield. That's what it comes down to. I, I'm not talking about the backyard gardener, you know, the sustainable home gardener. I'm talking about getting, becoming part of the supply chain and producing food for Americans. Yep. That's my goal. So what, what is it that we do next? I mean, where do you want to move to? I mean, look, we've got new technologies coming. The opportunity in the market, I think, is, uh, is a good reset, especially for organic farmers. Um, I think it levels the playing field now that uh, we start the economy again, start driving, you know, uh, food production again. And we, we know how weak the supply chain is, okay, how, how disrupted it was. Now that we've got an opportunity to address it, okay, sustainability will be one of them. And, and just transporting chemicals and, and seed and things like that has been difficult. So let's talk about what the future looks like for organic farming. And what does the future look like for consciously awoke people who are interested in protecting their families from the harsh realities of uh, environmental degradation? What can they do? And I think is to look at products and expertise from you and Matt and, and, and your visions. I think really to take a, a close in-depth look is what is the passion and what is the goal? Is the goal just to grow food to fill your freezer? Is it the goal to grow food that fills your body? Those are the two things you need to look at. And nutrition is key. We need to nutrition farm. We don't have a food crisis. We have a nutrition crisis. Yes. It's not a food crisis. We can produce food all day long, mm -hmm. but we're not producing nutrition. And that's what we need to get back to. If we want to stimulate this economy, we want to rebuild America, we have to start with the basics, our food. Yeah, the pandemic has given us pause to look at this. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, Absolutely. I will tell you that, you know, as far as you know, my phone ringing and my, my internet lighting up and, and everything, uh, people are wanting to do more of their own growing. Absolutely, sure. that is not going to go away. I don't really believe we're going to go back to the exact same normal we had prior to this, I think that this movement is, is happening, it's, it's mushrooming, it's expanding, and it won't stop. Even if we tomorrow go back to normal, it won't stop. Um, and we're not no going No one ever wants to, to experiences again, right? They, they never want to see yeah. this No, no. They want to feel. Yeah, yeah they, we don't need to see this. Yeah. Yep. So I think, and you know, um, being with whatever we have to deal with in this pandemic and with all the other climate change crisis and other crises, political and all that, um, there are enough people fed up and want to take control of that destiny. And I don't see that, that wavering in any way. I think it's just going to... No, it, it'd be silly to go back and do the same thing and expect a different result. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? <laughs> I mean, what we need to do now is take advantage of this opportunity. You know, as they say, there is opportunity in crisis. We, we recognize our weaknesses. We recognize our needs and priorities as human beings and as people. 
So what can I do to make things better? What can you do to make things better? What can I contribute to our resurgence? What can I contribute to our nation to make us better? So many farmers are switching to organic because that's where the market is now. It's starting to grow tremendously. Now, what I, I agree with you there. The problem there, though, my, my, I'm going to share with you, Mike, is that instead of scaling with the current regulations and rules, if, you know, the rules are being changed so that you can scale into the regulations. Yeah. Two different as aspects here. Yeah. Okay, if, if I were to work within the original framework and scaled within that original framework, I couldn't scale fast enough because I'm right. restricted that I can't use certain things. Right. So what do we do? Okay, change it from five parts per million to 10 parts per million. Right. Increase the amount. Now, now I'm able to scale on a large, I don't think that that is the right, the right route to go. Right. I think we need to get back to the basics of, okay, this is, this is the criteria. Let's develop the science that fits into that criteria. So when I develop hybridized, everything in there is in the, every ingredient is organically certified. Right. So I didn't change the rules. I worked within the rules. I didn't go and lobby to have the rules changed to say, exceed this, and then I can put my ingredient in that works better. I didn't. I had to reformulate to fit into the guidelines of the state and the federal government. So that's a challenge that innovators and, and people who want to create things is that let's create the next thing as the rules change. No, I went back to the foundation. Organic is organic. Whether you tell me it's five parts per million or 10 parts per million, it still has to be organic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Right. That's the biggest challenge I see in the food supplies is all these little nonsense games and regulations that, you know, that the in industry blobbies itself into a corner. Yeah. Oh, you know, organic meant you know. something different 40 years ago than it does today. Absolutely. Anything else you wanted us to cover or play with or talk yeah. about? Yeah. Yeah. There's one thing that I wanted to add to, to the foliar spray conversation was that farmers that are doing this on acres, hundreds of acres, thousands of acres right now and transitioning to foliar spray have figured out that RO, reverse osmosis water, is the ideal clean water because so many people are just using, you know, like a Berkey filter or something, something simple like that, just like a carbon filter or this, that, or the other. And they're still having bicarbonates bind up, up to 70% of the fertilizer or even pesticide or like everything, anything you want, those bicarbonates are just gonna bind it up. And so this might be because it's this much and because it's so strong and effective, you could use the RO right under your sink, fill it up with the cleanest water because yes. what goes into your plants your plants are going into you. So what goes into your well, plants there, goes into you. There are some you. plants though. I'm gonna caution you on that one though because there are certain plants that, that do require um, the minerals that are in the existing water, especially the local water. If you're using okay. well water or things like that. There are minerals, essential trace elements and minerals that, that the plants do require. RO is zero water, okay? Right. It, there's no hydration value. There's really nothing there. You, I, I, I don't. It's, not, it's not, not quite distilled water, but yeah, I mean, steps behind I, it. I mean, you're, you're missing the essential trace elements of, of hydration, is what right. I'm saying. This okay. is my personal opinion. I don't have scientific. No, I, 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 I do agree with you. You know, I, I, to me, is, is indigenous rainwater, um, but you're going to have to work with what you have. On a small scale, if you're doing your home plants, no issues. 
Um, but if you're planting, you know, an acre, two acres, three acres, and, and you finally got your foliar down, you're not going to make, you know, uh, 1,500 gallons of RO water. Your, your price will go through the roof with the membranes and, and all the different filtrations and stuff. Like to maintain that, it would just be cost prohibitive for you to do that. So you kind of have to work with it. And there are certain plants that do like, for example, tobacco likes bleach, you know, the chlorine in our water, you know. So there are, there are essential, you have to look at it in a case-by-case -case situation. You yeah. can't just recommend, you know, that general, you know, it has to be done. Rainwater is the best. It's the most natural, purest. I mean, um, obviously, if you've got local well water, which replicates and, and fits the necessity and needs of the local environment, that's better. Um, and if you're pumping city water in, you're going to have to work with that. You may have to buffer the pH a little bit. So depending on what your co-op recommends or depending on what your scout recommends and then what crop you're growing uh, and the type of NPKs you're using, um, hopefully you go non-GMO and organic and listen to one of us and, and get a protocol started and try to grow some good organic food. Um, but with whatever you're doing, uh, the, the objective is to grow a healthier crop, better yield with less chemicals. And if we can reduce the amount of chemicals even by 1%, of chemical usage, pesticide usage, or anything, like that, I think we've done a great thing for the environment. And that's, I'm shooting low, but I'm aiming high. So I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's really great clarification. That's really great clarification because um, I know that this is what um, certain people in agriculture are recommending. So that's really awesome feedback, more information to follow up on. Yeah. So just, where just be aware of your cost. Yeah. Go ahead, sir. I was saying, so where can we get this? If you still have that code that I gave you. Permit student 10. That's it. Just go to blueskybiochar.com, <laughs> place your order. When you get to the order form, put into the discount code. Say it again. Perma student 10. So it's P-E-R-M-A student 10. Okay. And I'll put it in the description with the link so everyone can go there. Everyone can start in on this, start changing their plants, their soil, the health of everything around it. Uh, you're going to love it. Just just try it. I mean, this is not something you have to wait a week or two months. Just, just try it. That's yeah. all we can say. That is our sales model. We just let people try it. I mean, there's no pitch, there's nothing. If you see yeah. good, your plant's going to let you know if it's healthy or not. You know? That's right. So from a student ten at blueskybiochar.com, you'll get 10% off. And we usually throw little extras in there on people's orders. Uh, everything that we do provide on our website is something that we've actually used and we certify on our own. We wouldn't put anything on there that wasn't something we would use on our own plants and our own lifestyles and our own families. So... Um, I want to thank you very much, Matt, for allowing us to share this with you and spend some time with you. And we're sure it's great to be with you again. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, well, we look forward thank to... Thank you both. Uh, this is the longest conversation I've been on in a long time, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you guys got me to do it. That was good. Okay, well, thank you guys. Have a great day. Thank I wish you both the best, very best. And if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me, okay? Thank you guys. All right, thank guys. you.